Yeah. All right, welcome back to RUF. There are some seats along the side. If you want to get in the room, you're welcome to do that, uh, and definitely up front. Um, we have been studying this semester um, the Gospel of Mark, and we were looking at really the first half of the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at the question, who is Jesus? And we've explored lots of different things about Jesus this semester. Uh, but if you remember, before we left for the break, we looked at Jesus' power and we looked at Mark chapter 4 where Jesus calms the storm. And what's interesting is if you look at the Gospel of Mark, and really these three stories kind of go together. Uh, the storm, the man of the tombs, which we're looking at tonight, which is a crazy passage. Uh, and then also right after it, which Nathan Turquie did a few weeks ago, where Jesus heals the bleeding woman. And all of those stories go together because they tell us something about Jesus' power, his power over nature and the storm, his power tonight we're going to see over evil, and then um, the story right after this, which is Jesus' power over sickness and disease. Uh, and so we're going to look at Mark chapter 5 tonight, and if you have your Bible, you can look in your Bible or on the announcement sheet printed before you or your phone, uh, and as you're turning there, if you're uh, turning in a Bible, let me just kind of remind you of the context, and I'm going to go back into last two weeks ago when we had RUF and Jesus calm, where we looked at Jesus calming the storm. So in chapter 4, you can actually flip back there and check this out if you would like, but remember one of the things we mentioned is that at the direction of Jesus, okay, so it was Jesus' idea... He tells the disciples to get into the boat and to go to the other side of the sea. And when they get in the boat, they begin sailing. It's at night because fishing was done at night to avoid huge storms in the Sea of Galilee. But out of nowhere, suddenly this huge storm comes upon the, Jesus and his disciples and overtakes the boat. And it was a big one. And we know that it was a huge storm because they were fishermen. Fishermen don't get scared of just any old storm. Why? Because that's their life. They encounter storms on the sea all the time. And so for them, the passage says, to be scared, not only scared, but greatly afraid. They were terrified. It must have been a huge storm. They thought they were losing their life. They thought this was it. And they go to Jesus, and they, he's asleep on a cushion in this boat. They shake him and say, Jesus, don't you care about us? We thought you were God. Do something. We're going to die in the storm. And Jesus, if you remember, stands up in this boat, and there's no sweat on his brow. There's no you know, rolling up the sleeves, how am I going to do this? This is a really big storm. Let me think of something. No, none of that. Jesus simply speaks a word. Quiet. And the storm, it says, the passage literally says it goes dead calm. No wind, no waves. The water is as smooth as glass. Okay, so it, now by this time, let's say it's the middle of the night, and the disciples, after just going through that, they're probably pretty exhausted, wouldn't you think? 
physically exhausted from fighting this storm, and if they're not physically exhausted, they're at least emotionally and mentally exhausted because they thought they were going to die. Nighttime, okay, dark, eerie quiet, the water is dead calm, no waves lapping up against the boat, no waves splashing, you cannot hear the roar of any water. That's kind of the picture. And then suddenly, from the shore, they hear a man scream at the top of his lungs. Uh, like a shrieking sound. Some commentators said it was almost sounded like an animal that was howling. And it's coming from the shore, and they would have been very familiar with this, this cry and this scream, because remember, they worked these waters all, of the t- all the time, and so they probably knew this sound. And Jesus looks at them, whoever's steering the boat, and He says, let's go there. Let's go to the country of the Gerasenes. And that might not mean anything to us, but to a Jewish person, that was a big deal. Because that was Gentile territory. It was not a safe place for them to go. It was unclean to them. And so you can imagine the shock on the disciples' face when Jesus gave them that directive. I mean, most certainly, if they didn't say it out loud, they had to have been thinking, are you kidding me? After the night that we've had, Jesus wants to go over here with this man is screaming at the top of his lungs. Are you kidding me? Who would want to go to a place like that? Had to have been one of the many things they were thinking in that moment. Well, you know who would want to go to a place like that? Jesus would want to go to a place like that. And so Jesus directs them and insists that they take the boat to the shore. And that's where our story picks up tonight. Before we dig into our passage, let me pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Father, we come tonight, um, and it seems like I've already heard just in the few days that we've been back, um, stories of grandparents that are sick, fathers who have passed away, uncles who have passed away, um, the Belgium um, terrorist attacks, and we could go on and on and on in a place, uh, in a room this size, with stories of suffering and heartache and pain. So some of us are suffering, and we need you. We need you to come and be near. Some of us are struggling with doubt and unbelief. Others have lost our edge spiritually and we feel like failures and we wonder if you still care. Others of us are filled with anxiety and, and fear. Uh, some of us feel very uh, much filled with shame over the things that we did over spring break. Um, and so we need you. And we ask that you would come and teach us through this passage Uh, convict us. Uh, That's a good thing, a hard thing, but we pray that you would convict, but also challenge, uh, but also give us great comfort. Uh, Help us to see Jesus tonight and to be moved by him and be changed by him. Melt our heart with the good news of the gospel tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so when you look at this passage, it's pretty strange if you really followed along and looked at the detail 
uh, of this passage. It's one of the most vivid accounts and longest accounts in the whole Gospel of Mark, maybe in all of the Gospels. And when you come to a passage like this, the temptation for us is to kind of get all caught up in this demon possession and the fact that the man was demon-possessed. The focus of this passage is not the demon-possessed man. The focus of this passage is Jesus. Do we have things we can learn from this man? Absolutely. But this story is about Jesus and his power. More specifically, it is about the power of Jesus to restore helpless and hopeless people who have been dehumanized and wrecked by sin and who cannot fix themselves and who cannot save themselves. That's what this passage is about. And when we read a passage like this, you might initially look at it and say, yes, Jason, I know that I've been affected by sin. I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And I feel, I feel that every single day. But when you think about this man, he's a little crazy. I'm not quite sure I see the connection. I'm not as bad as him. Well, okay, maybe your sin is not as dramatic as what we see here. But what I want to convince you of tonight is that you are a lot closer to this man. I am a lot closer to this man than we might initially think. Because you see, in some way, Legion is a picture of us all. And Mark wants us tonight to see our story in Legion's story. He wants us to see that though we've been bruised and broken by sin, Jesus stands ready to save us. Jesus stands ready to heal us, and he has the power to do so. Three things we learn about Jesus' power from this passage tonight. Jesus' power pursues. Jesus' power transforms. Secondly, if you have an outline before you. And lastly, Jesus' power, uh, it values, or it actually brings dignity to people. Let's look at number one, Jesus' power pursues. And so, remember the scene they dock the boat, and the boat comes onto the shore, and they start getting out of the boat. And notice Mark makes a point to tell us immediately. You see that? Immediately, when they dock the boat, immediately this man comes running at them, and this man is naked. We know that because it makes a point later in the story to tell us that he was fully clothed. So naked, bleeding... Right? He cut himself with stones, chains hanging off of his arms, and he's running at the disciples, screaming at the top of his lungs. Okay, think about that. If the disciples thought they were going to lose their life in the storm, most certainly they thought they were going to lose their life at the hands of this man. They had to have been scared for their life. What do we know about this man? Well, again, the passage, very vivid, tells us a lot. Look at verse 3. He lived among the tombs. He lived in a graveyard. Every single day, this man lived surrounded by death. Verse 3 again. He's uncontrollable. Notice it says, no one could bind him anymore. What does that tell you? Well, the implication of that is that they used to try. 
They used to try to contain this man, but they don't anymore. In other words, they've given up on him. They've quit on him. They've written him off. Legion to the people in this community was a hopeless case. Verse 5. We find out that this man's in pain. It says that he spends his nights crying out. He's sleepless at night because he's crying. Verse 5 again. His self-hatred is so off the charts that he actually cuts himself with stones. And so think about this. I don't know whether he had any clarity, uh, any moments of clarity or not, but if he had any moments of clarity, even if it was for a minute or 30 seconds out of a day, surely this man realized how repulsive, how unloved and unwelcomed he really was. He had to have realized how utter misery he was in. How isolated and utterly alone and self-destructive. Here we see a man that's filled with inner chaos and who's completely out of control. And again, maybe you're thinking, you know, I have hard times, but I'm not sure I have hard times like this man who's demon-possessed. Well, yes, again, maybe it's not this dramatic, but if we're honest, I think every single person in this room can relate to this man in some way, shape, or form. It is just much more subtle, my friends, than what we see here in Mark chapter 5. Think about it. Does anyone know what it's like to be given up on? Anyone ever felt alone or isolated? Have you ever had someone who you thought loved you write you off? Maybe like this man, maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe you're so weighed down with guilt and shame and anxiety that you cannot sleep. And some nights you have even cried yourself to sleep because your inner pain is so great. Are you tormented? Have you ever felt tormented? Maybe you're addicted to something and it feels like it's such a part of who you are and the fabric of who you are that to think about giving that up and actually being free from that addiction, whatever it is for, for you, actually scares you to death because that addiction is actually tormenting you. Or maybe you're filled with self-hatred. Anybody struggle with self-hatred by, not, by looking in the mirror and not liking what you see? So much so that you actually inflict pain on yourself. Maybe like this man, your self-hatred is so great that you actually cut in order to numb the pain. Or in order to actually feel something. Or maybe it looks differently. Maybe you don't cut. Maybe you don't allow yourself to eat. And you starve your body in order to get it to look a certain way. Or maybe like this man, you're filled with inner chaos and it seems like your emotions and your fear and your anxiety and your rage is completely out of control and you cannot turn it off and sometimes it feels like those things have more control over you than anything else. 
You see, if we're honest, we're a lot closer to legion than we might initially think. But here's what I want you to see. Think about this man. Think about legion coming after them, screaming. Think about how disgusting and sickening and intense and tormented and scary this man was as he approached Jesus and his disciples. Can I be honest for a second? What would you have done in that situation? If I'm honest, I don't think I would have gotten out of the boat. Or if I would have gotten out of the boat, I would have turned and run the other way, or I would have taken the long way around. And in my worst moments, I would have said, Who's the freak? Who's this crazy man? That's running after us. And you know what I love about this passage? Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus does not run away from this man. He's not afraid of this man. He enters in. And if you remember back to chapter 4, I think it's worth saying again, it was his idea that we go here in the first place to the region of the Gerasenes. What did you bring into this room tonight with you? What did you bring in here tonight? Friends, you need to hear this. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Jesus is not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your brokenness. It doesn't matter how ugly or sick or disgusting or entrenched it is in your heart. Jesus does not move away from you. Jesus moves right to the center of your heart. He is not afraid. Mark chapter 5. Legion, these are the very people that Jesus came for. Look all throughout the Gospels. Jesus moves towards the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and men like Legion. And you know who he moves away from? The self-righteous know-it-alls who think they have it all together. Secondly, Jesus' power transforms. So Jesus asks this man his name and this man says, My name is Legion. And what does that mean? Well, it's a technical term of sorts. In the Roman army, a legion consists of something like, commentators say, something like 6,000 soldiers. And so commentators say that this man, legion, was possessed by something like 6,000 demons. And think about the storm, okay? Remember with the word, dead calm. Again, Jesus, there's no fear. There's no rolling up the sleeves. With a word, he cast out these many, many demons from this man. And here's what I want us to focus on. Look at verse 15. Let's look at the result. The man was completely transformed and restored. 
Do you notice verse 15? Sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And if you look at Luke's account, which is very interesting, Luke chapter 8, verse 35, Luke makes a point to tell us that he was sitting at Jesus' feet. Isn't that interesting? So here, think about the picture. Out of control, screaming, chains, bleeding, out of his mind, and now he's sitting calm, at peace, in self-controlled wholeness, not against Jesus as he was before. Now he's in communion with Jesus. Jesus had completely transformed and restored this man and made him human again. And Jesus comes into our lives and He brings peace. And He restores our sanity and brings us back to our right mind and makes us whole again. That's what Jesus does when He enters into our lives. Slumdog Millionaire. Many of you probably have seen that movie. If you haven't, it's a major spoiler alert coming up. But it's like 10 years old, so I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. You, need to, you should have already seen it, but here it goes. Um, Jamal and Latika, they're orphans growing up in Mumbai, India. And the story, the movie, basically, if you've seen it, you know, it traces... Uh, it's a love story, of course, just like all movies are. And it traces the times in their life, their pain and their heartache when they get separated and they lose track of one another. And so it talks, it shows a lot about their pain and, and their stories and even their scars, but not just their, uh, you know, metaphorically their scars, but also their physical scars. If you remember at one point in the movie, someone takes a knife and takes it and runs it down Latika's cheek. And so she has this huge scar down her cheek as an ever-present reminder to her uh, of the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of her life. She sees it every single day when she looks in the mirror. And at the end of the movie, they're at a train station. And uh, the camera zooms in, and Jamal and Latika have, have reunited and Jamal pulls Latika close, and you're like, here it is, the kiss of true love. And you think he's going to kiss her on the lips, but instead of kissing her on the lips, he takes his lips and he presses them to the scar on her cheek. And in an instant, the entire movie begins to play in reverse. What's happening? Well, you see, the kiss of true love at her very point of brokenness had the power to reverse all the painful things in her life. It had the power to actually restore her and rewrite her story. That's exactly what we see in this passage in Mark chapter 5. Jesus comes into this man's life and he comes into our life and he meets us at our very point of brokenness and through his power and love and grace and mercy, he begins to undo our pain and our brokenness and begins to rewrite our story. Isn't that what every single one of us wants? Does anyone besides me, want to undo your brokenness and rewrite your story. We all want that. And friends, I don't know what your story is, but I know in a room this size that there are lots of stories that are in this place tonight. What if Jesus can rewrite your story? Who have you given up on? 
Who have you quit praying for? Maybe a friend, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, or maybe you've given up on yourself. Friends, if this passage tells us anything tonight, it tells us that if Jesus can rewrite this man's story in Mark chapter 5, he can rewrite your story. Jesus has the power to do that. Thirdly, Jesus' power brings value and dignity. Notice the crowd's response. Sinclair Ferguson, he has written uh, lots of books. He was, he's a pastor as well. And he makes a point that I'd never noticed before in this passage. But if you look at the crowd's response, you would think that the people in this community, when, when a man like Legion is healed, who's wreaked havoc on this community, that they maybe would possibly throw a party. <laughs> maybe they would celebrate that this man's life had been changed. No. None of that. In fact, they're actually angry. They're not happy about this at all. They're ticked off. Look at verse 17. They begin to beg. Notice the, the way it flows. After they heard what happened, verse 17, they begin to beg Jesus to leave. Why would they beg Jesus to leave? Well, think about it. In order for Jesus to heal this man, what did he do? He had to send the demons out of this man into 2,000 pigs, and then the pigs ran straight off a cliff to their death. Why is that important? Well, remember, we're in Gentile territory in this story. Jews did not eat pork. In other words, this is a pig farm. And Jesus just essentially killed 2,000 livestock. And so when those pigs ran off of the cliff to their death, that meant lots and lots of money for this community. Why are they so angry? Why do they want Jesus to leave? Because it, this was a huge blow to them economically. And they want Jesus to get out of there. But if you take it down another level and go a little bit deeper, what we see is that the reason why they were so outraged is because to them, Legion wasn't worth it. He had no dignity. Legion was nothing to them. They did not care about him. And in order to restore him, it was immensely costly. And to them, the people in this community, he was not worth that much. He was not worth the time or the resources or the money. They had written him off. But you know who Legion was worth it to? Jesus. You see, to Jesus, Legion was worth it. Was it costly to save the pigs? Yes, it, or to, to, to save Legion, yes, it cost 2,000 pigs. But to ultimately save Legion, it was going to cost a whole lot more than 2,000 pigs, wasn't it? It was going to cost Jesus his life. And when you continue reading in the Gospel of Mark, that's exactly what we see, isn't it? If you keep looking through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that Jesus, too ends up naked and shouting, 
incomprehensible things from a cross. Jesus also, like Legion, ends up among the tombs outside the city. Jesus, just like Legion, was lonely and isolated, abandoned by his friends, but not only by his friends, even his own father as he hung from a cross. And like Legion, Jesus too gets cut open and is bleeding. Why is that so important? Well, because in order for Jesus to reverse the effects of sin and death and evil and make you human again and make you holy, someone had to stand in your place. Someone had to become your substitute. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. On the cross, He becomes our substitute. And He hangs there. And He takes the wrath of His Father. Why? So that you can be restored. So that you can be forgiven. And so that you can have life and have it abundantly. Friends, Jesus is saying here that broken, sinful, evil people are worth it. They are worth it to him. And Jesus is willing to give up everything in order to have them with him. Here's one of the things I want you to think about tonight and leave here with. You are worth it to Jesus. You matter to him. I was in New York over spring break and I learned about an artist, a a Serbian performance artist by the name of Marina Abramovic. She's based, obviously, in New York and has done a lot of work in the Museum of Modern Art. And being a performance artist, she really focuses on the relationship between the audience and the performer. She tests the limits of the body. She explores the possibilities of the mind. And in 2010, in the Museum of Modern Art, she did an exhibit called The Artist is Present. And in this exhibit, for 30 days, so you can imagine the strain on the body, testing the limits of the body. For 30 days, in the Museum of Modern Art, she sat there in a chair across from a table. On the other side of the table was an empty chair, and she stared straight ahead. And... Visitors to the museum would come in to the exhibit and they would see her staring across at this empty chair. And slowly but surely, people started to sit in the empty chair and look at Marina Abramovic in the eye. And as they did that, one by one, people would sit in the chair and they would begin to weep. You can see this, there's pictures of this on on the internet. Tears coming down their cheeks. They would begin weeping. Why in the world would they be weeping? Well, because every single one of us wants to be seen. 
Every single one of us wants to be known. Known all the way to the bottom with all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of those dark places that reside inside our hearts. We want to be seen and we want to be known and we want those eyes looking across the table at us to not be eyes of scorn and not be eyes that are shaming us, but we want them to be eyes of acceptance. You see, our greatest fear is like Legion, that someone would see us all the way to the bottom and they would see our shame and they would laugh at us. Or they would be full of fear and disgust and they would run the other way. You see, the people in this community, when they saw Legion, they were disgusted by him. They saw him for who he really was and they were fearful and they ran the other way. Not Jesus. Jesus looked at him in the eye. Treated him as a person created in the image of God. Saw him all the way to the bottom and looked at him with eyes of love and grace and acceptance. How is that possible? Well, you know how that's possible? Because God the Father, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God the Father looked away. He looked away. And because He looked away on the cross, Jesus can look at you with complete acceptance. And He can look at you with delight and joy And He will never, ever turn away. He will never, ever leave you or be disgusted by what He sees. Friends, Jesus sees you all the way to the bottom tonight. And He doesn't leave you. He doesn't hide His face, but He actually runs towards you. And loves you with His grace and mercy. You see, there's a reason why it's called the good news. You think about that. Let's pray.